This morning, I want to continue the series that we uh, started last week called Beholding Jesus. Beholding Jesus. And I know that some of you may have not been here. I also know that some of you were working um, in uh, kind of like the our kids or middle school ministry. And so I just want to kind of catch everybody up to that. What we did was we talked about the fact that beholding is similar to seeing, but it's not the same. I kind of used you know, just the reality that like we don't walk through daily life beholding everything. We see a lot, but just because we see it doesn't mean that we behold it. The word behold means to thoroughly hold on to something. Okay, you probably right now, is there anything in your life that you have ever beheld? Now I got to be on my grammar because Lacey called me out. <laughs> I know, I just... Have you ever beheld anything? I, I, look, are there any uh, women in the room that love nature? You've beheld before. You've been on a walk. My mom is like the bird nerd. <laughs> that is a... She's beholding, right? Beholding, I think that's interesting because beholding stops you in your tracks. That's the difference then between beholding and seeing. Uh, there was a woman uh, that was on the corner of 70 and Hamilton. You know, uh, some people behold the homeless, other people drive by, right? There's a difference. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to convict anybody. I'm just saying that you can behold, that's an example. It means to thoroughly hold on to something. It speaks of being captivated. Some of you have beheld the words that people have said to you and they linger long after the person leaves. Right? Where it, whether good or bad. They're just like, they eat. if it's bad, they eat away at you. It's because they stopped you in your tracks and you're still uh, uh, captivated by the things that they spoke. It speaks of being captivated. You can't get it off your mind. You're gripped by it. You're obsessed by it. To behold something means not only that you hold on to it, but it holds on to you. And so beholding and different, uh, seeing are different. I was just struck this, this week as I was preparing the second message at the fact that how many people walked by Jesus in the same street? How many? And honestly, I just got to be totally honest. Thank God that I live on the other side of the cross because I don't know what I would have done. I don't know if I would have beheld Jesus. I, I could have easily been the person that's walking next to the son of the God of the universe and he's just like, he's just another guy. I, I could have been the one that said he was a lunatic. I mean, how many people walked by Jesus and didn't realize they were walking next to the creator of the universe? But John, once again, he said of, his, of the disciples of Jesus in one, John 1, 14, word became flesh and we beheld his glory. It was different. Just because you see people doesn't mean that you actually behold them. God doesn't want us to see him. He wants us to behold him. So there were three things I talked about quickly before we get into uh, the, the sermon for this morning. The first was that we were created to behold God. That's in Genesis 1. You know, God created Adam and Eve, put him in the garden. And then out of everywhere in the planet that God could have put himself, he places them in the closest proximity to Adam and Eve. 
not only because he wanted fellowship with them, but in that fellowship they would see, they would behold who they were to become. And so we see that we're created for that. But we're not only created to behold God so that we can see his image, but more importantly, so that we can mirror his likeness. That's the, bit, that's the point, okay? We all look like God. It's impossible for a human being to come into the planet that does not have the image of God on them. We've been imprinted with the DNA of God, so we will look like God. I think that when we see Jesus and we see God in heaven, we will be amazed at how much we actually look. By, look. It's a mystery because we all look different, but we look like him. We have the image, but do we have the likeness? The likeness is about the character, the nature of God. And listen, the world needs a Christian people that don't have his image because that's, that's already a given. The world needs a Christian people that display his likeness, that display his character and his nature in the world. And so that's why we were created to behold him so that we could see not only what he looks like, but we could see his character and his nature, and we could behold it to reflect it. And lastly, this is where it's amazing. Beauty of beholding Jesus is that we are actually transformed by him when we behold him. It is a, it is a, a, a um, oh, this is a fancy word. It's almost like an osmotic relationship. You know what osmosis is? It, it just happens without effort. You behold Jesus, and then, as Corinthians says, you become transformed into his likeness as you behold him. That's why we need to behold him. That's why we can't just glance at God on Sundays. We've got to gaze at God throughout the week. Can I get an amen? amen. We see examples of this with Moses, once again, in Exodus 34, and Jesus in Luke chapter 9. The beholding, listen, the beholding and the transforming happen simultaneously. This is the transaction that takes place. As Alan Redpath said, when you look into his lovely face and as you behold him, he will transform you into his likeness and you do the beholding, he does the transforming. And listen to me this morning, I believe this with all of my heart and this is such a strong conviction that if we behold Jesus, we will become more and more like him. One beholding of Jesus is not enough. We have to continue to behold him. And here's why I believe it's so powerful. Because when you behold Jesus, it shortcuts the process of sanctification into conforming to his image. That's why it's, it's not about, you can, you can have it however you like it. You can have it however you like it. If you want to take scripture and you want to write them down and you want to memorize them, you know, and you want to apply those to your lives, that's principle, that's application of the scripture, that's amazing, but there is a shortcut. You see Jesus, you become like him. You behold him, you are transformed into his image. It, it short circuits the process of sanctification in you conforming, into his, conforming to his likeness. That's why it's so amazing. We become what we behold, as 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, but we with all, with unveiled faces, looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord. That's the beholding. That's the beholding. Are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. That's the becoming. Just as from the Lord, the Spirit. So this morning, 
I want to continue to, to, to transition off of beholding Jesus specifically into moving more into beholding what he beholds. Beholding what he beholds. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that we would see what you see. We would behold what you are beheld by. God, I, I just pray, Lord Jesus, that, that there would be this transfer of your heart into ours. There would be that impartation. And Father, that we would become this morning so captivated by what so captivates you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. So to behold what he beholds, what does that mean? To behold what he beholds. Using that same definition of behold or beholding, it means this. It means that as you fix your eyes on Jesus, <clears throat> you are not only beholding him, but, what you, what, but as you do, you begin to be captivated by what captivates him. You begin to be gripped by what grips him. You begin to become obsessed with what obsesses him. That is one of the things that additionally happens as you behold Jesus. Listen to me. When you behold what he beholds, you get a passion for what is on his heart. How many of you have ever beheld Jesus and then you start to burn for what he's burning for? That, that means that you have transitioned from just beholding Jesus to now you are beholding what he is beholding. This is what happens. That, that's why we need to get to that. We need to be able to behold Jesus so that we behold what he is beheld by. When you behold what he beholds, you become burdened for what burdens him. And just because you know his heart does not mean you have beheld it. See, it's, we, can, we can see this, right? We can read the scripture where we see the Pharisee, Pharisees that knew the law. They knew the scripture. And time and time again, they were confronted at how Jesus would treat people. And they always looked at it as a misapplication of the way that God was supposed to interact with people. They knew the word, but they were not beheld by God's heart, and their interaction was different. Just because you know his heart does not mean you have beheld it. When you behold his heart, it deposits a deep conviction in you that says, I must do something to see his heart fulfilled. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever rose to the occasion, stepped up because you've been gripped by God's heart and it compels you to say, I've got to do something. I can't just sit with this. God, I pray you would be so stirred this morning, you can't just sit with the word of God. That you would be stirred to action, stirred to do something. It's kind of like in the same, it's the opposite. Peter was preaching to lost people and they came to him and they said, what must I do to be saved. There was a stirring on the inside of them because of the word of God. Don't become so familiar and, and um, don't become so inoculated to the word of God because you hear it all the time that it doesn't stir you. Stirring is being captivated. It's one thing to behold Jesus. It's another to behold his heart. See, listen, God does not want us to just become like him in character without having his heart for what he is most passionate for. And this is where 
it hurt me when I felt like God was speaking to me on this topic. When all you have is the character of God because you have beheld him, but you don't have the heart of God, you're just religious. You are just religious. You have his character, but you don't have his heart. You can't disconnect the two. All you will do when you are having his character, but you don't have his heart, is you will use your character as a sign to show others where they have fallen short. You are measure, measure people according to your piousness. But that's not the heart of God. For how can absolute holiness and perfection be drawn near to unholiness and imperfection? Where we miss it is that we don't think holiness and love are compatible. That's God. God is both holy and both love. And we think they can't be together. They, we think they cannot be mutually exclusive. Guess what? That is the mystery of who God is. God is both holy and both love. How can holiness be drawn to unholiness? It's a violation of his character. Love. And so when all you have is the character, the righteousness, the holiness of God, but you have not captured or beheld his heart, you will quickly just become religious where you will distance yourself from unholy to show people how much you are like God and you're not like God. Because God is both holy and love at the same time. And what happens if you just behold God, but you don't behold what he beholds, you will have the holiness because you will be sanctified and transformed into his likeness, but you will not love what he loves. And so you will live perpetually in a Christian bubble. So you got to behold what he beholds. What, what fruit was born by the pharisaical spirit in, in Judaism? How many people did that draw to Jehovah? Nobody. Because they had the character of God, but they did not have the heart of God. See, Matthew chapter 9, go with me there. I don't have that on the slideshow. It's inaudible, it's fine. Matthew chapter 9, look at this. Verses 9 and 13. As Jesus went on from there, if you're there, say I'm there. Because it ain't on the screen. You better be there. Like on your own, because it is not on the screen this morning. Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth. Do you know that that was like the worst job ever for a Jew? They hated you because you were betraying your own Judaism. You were working for Rome. You were working for the oppression. He saw a man, Jesus went on from there, and he saw a man called Matthew sitting in the tax collector's booth, and he said to him, follow me, and he got up and followed him. This is holiness drawing towards unholiness. And he got up and followed him. Then it happened that as Jesus was reclining at the table in the house, 
Behold, pay attention, many tax collectors and sinners came and were dining with Jesus and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, because they don't have God's heart, <laughs> they, they, they have his character, but they don't have his heart. This is a rabbi. This G, who is this Jesus, this rabbi, this teacher of the people that is actually associating himself in this group? When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why is your teacher eating with the tax collectors and sinners? But when Jesus heard this, he said, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. Now, I want you to pay attention to what he quotes. He says this, But go and learn what this means. Whoo! I desire compassion or mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Does anybody know where he got that verse from? Gary, come on. Hosea. Come on. I can count on Gary. Hosea chapter 6. Woo! Let me stop right here. Does anybody know what the story of Hosea is? Hosea, Hosea was like, it would have not been awesome to be an Old Testament prophet. Because God would call you to live out the prophecy. So God calls Hosea out of nowhere and he says, hey, hey, I love you so much, I want you to marry a prostitute. And then when she leaves you because she is familiar with being unfaithful, I want you to go after her again. And then I want you to go after her again. And then when she does it again, I want you to go after her again. Because I want you to experience the transformation of the love that will, that will grow inside of you as you are pursuing the unfaithful. Because this is my heart towards not only Israel, but the world. And here's the crazy thing. Hosea is also Yeshua. In Hebrew. And here's the crazy thing about it. There was a moment, I think, in Hosea chapter 3, where Hosea goes and finds this prostitute wife of his, and he actually pays a price for what he already owns. The earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof. And we have a Jesus that owns everybody, 2,000 years ago, goes after an unfaithful Gomer to display the heart of God, even though he has the character of God, and pays a price for what he already owns. That is the heart of God. Are you hearing me this morning? And so, here he is in Matthew chapter 9. Go and learn what this means. You got all the Old Testament memorized. You are dotting every I, crossing every T. You know it all, but the heart of God. You got the character, but you're missing the heart. And he references Hosea. We don't need to just behold him. We have to have his heart transplanted into us. Because you will always misappropriate how the word of God applies to people if you have his character without his heart. We have to have his heart. Ezekiel prophesied this, 
this coming day in uh, Ezekiel 36, 26, when he said, I, God, will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. Jesus did not come just to reveal the nature of God. He came to reveal the heart of God. God is calling us to behold him so that we become like him, not only in character, but also in the passions of his heart. That's the purpose. And Jesus makes this clear after the resurrection. We are in this period symbolically after the resurrection. Easter has come. Good Friday has come. Easter has come. Now we are on our way to Pentecost, are we not? And listen, Jesus is risen from the grave. He's appeared to his disciples, begins to instruct his disciple on, disciples on what they are to do from here. And listen to me, the Holy Spirit impressed this on me so much as I was putting this together that what Jesus instructs his disciples to do is not only what launched the church, but it is what will continue to grow the church, sustain the church, and maintain the church. Acts chapter 1, verse 4, gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them. He gave them two instructions. Or he gave them an instruction and a purpose for the instruction. Gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they began asking him, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? They thought all the work was done. No, it's just beginning. But he said to them, it is not for you to know the periods of time or appointed times which the Father has sent by his own authority. So you've got waiting as the command. Now watch the purpose. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be what? What? My witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, as far as the remotest part of the earth. Listen, what started the church will grow the church what started the church will grow the church, sustain the church, maintain the church, is a waiting church that eventually gets to the witnessing part. Not a waiting church and not a witnessing church, a waiting and witnessing church. You could almost put every church in America into those two categories. We call the charismatic churches the waiting churches. We call the seeker-friendly churches the witnessing churches. It's both and, not one or the other. Jesus said, wait so you'll be a witness. Don't just wait for your own pleasure and satisfaction. There's got to be a transformation from a vertical pursuit to a horizontal expression. This is what it's all about. Waiting on the Lord is beholding Jesus. That's what the upper room in Acts chapter 2 was all about. It was about pressing in, worshiping, leaning in, crying out to Jesus, seeking. And as they beheld Jesus, the Holy Spirit came like a rushing wind, and there was an inward filling called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that transformed the disciples from the inside out. And one of the many purposes of the infilling of the Holy Spirit was to complete the transformation process that comes from beholding Jesus. Remember what 2 Corinthians 3.18 uh, says. It says this. It says, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. Just as, am I talking too fast? I'm like the micro machine guy, but I, I don't have enough time right now. Okay, I got to go. We are transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. As you behold Jesus, it is the Holy Spirit that does the inward work of transforming you into his likeness. But that's not the only thing that the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit 
transforms you, but it also reveals the heart of God to you. Because if the Holy Spirit is not in you, you cannot know his heart. That's why people need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You get power, but you get perspective. Listen to 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 12. But God now unveils these profound realities to us by the Spirit. Yes, he has revealed to us his inmost heart and deepest mysteries through the Holy Spirit who constantly explores all things. After all, who can really see into a person's heart and know his hidden impulses except for that person's spirit? So it is with God. His thoughts and secrets are only fully understood by his spirit, the spirit of God. Once again, we can behold Jesus. But the only way in which we behold what he beholds is if we are filled with his spirit to be able to access his heart. That was what Pentecost, in a, a side bonus of Pentecost, was that now we are filled with the Holy Spirit who is able to tap into the heart of God as we behold him so we can now behold what he beholds. See, we are filled with the Holy Spirit not so we can just receive power and we can have an encounter, but also so that we can behold his heart. Listen, I'm all about having um, uh, the Holy Spirit, encounter with the Holy Spirit. I'm all about it. I've had personal encounters with Jesus, just beholding Jesus. But we cannot disconnect the waiting that Jesus commanded the disciples to, to do from the purpose. The purpose of waiting was to empower those disciples to witness. It was to witness, to spread the message of Jesus, not to keep the encounter to ourselves. If we wait to have an encounter with Jesus, but it never compels us to witness, then we have beheld Jesus, but we haven't beheld what he beholds. There has to be a translation. Once again, when you access the heart of God and you know the heart of God and you are beheld by what he beholds, it will compel you to say, I have to do something to see this fulfilled in his heart. It says in Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you shall be witness. The purposes, purpose of the waiting was for the witness. <laughs> so who has been blessed by your waiting? Who has been touched by your touch? Who has been the beneficiary of your encounter with Jesus? See, this, it's a waiting to witness. Do you know what witness is? Witness in the Greek is martyr, but it's also proof. It's also evidence. So he says, you are to be witnesses. I'm leaving. You are to be the evidence, the evidence that I walk the earth. Not just the people who love to behold Jesus, but as they behold him, they begin to behold what he beholds, and it compels them to move from waiting into witnessing. I was thinking about this point, and I was thinking about why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea. Does anybody know why the Dead Sea is the Dead Sea? There's no outlet. There's an inlet, but there's no outlet. Anything fresh, after a while, gets contaminated. 
it starts to get stagnant because it's not moving. Listen, the water that comes into the Dead Sea has nowhere to go. When you have no outlet, the only way, and I hope you get this, the only way that you get refreshed is to have more and more fresh water coming in. When you are not sharing what you already know about Jesus with someone else, you become like the Dead Sea, and you begin to believe the lie that you need another sermon, another encounter, another message, another worship service to get you fresh. And can I tell you, it is the plan of the enemy to turn you into a consumer, not a producer. You don't need another encounter. You just need an outlet. You really do. There is nothing that will revive your spirit and excite your spirit than sitting across from someone that has no idea about the God that you, you serve. And finally pouring out of you everything that has been poured in. Mentoring, discipling, telling someone about Jesus. Being a witness. Can I tell you something? I was at Kroger two days ago picking up a uh, allergy prescription for Zeke, and I'm standing in line, and, and there's five, six people there, and there's a guy at the counter, and he is going off at the, on the pharmacist in plain sight, like not behind a computer on Facebook, actually to the person. I was like, that's the way it used to be, right? You didn't have the luxury of hiding. But he's going off on the person. He, he's telling them, you're incapable of doing your job right. If you did a better job, there wouldn't be this many people waiting in line. You're, he literally told the pharmacist she was incompetent. Okay. And you got your Wikipedia degree. I think, I think it requires a little bit of intellect to be a pharmacist, just saying. He said, you're incompetent. If you were more competent, we wouldn't have a line. And all these people are watching it. And then there's another, and he said, he's at the line, he's literally at the counter about to get his prescription. He's like, screw this, I'm out of here. And so it's like, next, so I come up, and you know what? Here's the thing. It's, this is a simple expression of being Jesus. Be kind. So I go to the counter, and I said, hey, man, I am sorry that that guy was a jerk to you. I know that you're doing everything that you can. Because the fruit of the Spirit is for other people. What's the purpose of being kind if you don't have anyone to be kind to? Right. I'm kind. Woo! I love myself so well. I am always patient with me. The gifts are for other people. The fruit is for other people. The waiting is for other people. It's all part of God trying to impart you with his heart for other people. And so I just said, I'm sorry that God, you don't deserve that. I can clearly, I can clearly behold you're working as hard as you can. 
See, the guy saw, but he didn't behold. I can clearly see it. I'm sorry. You don't deserve that. And that dude was so nice to me. It's like he gave me the script. What else do you want, man? What else do you want? You want to you wanna know? Just let me know. I got you. Because the world is not kind. The world is not loving. It's not patient. It's not gentle. It's not good. It's none of it. So what will separate us from everybody else? It's that simple. But when you're a dead sea, you will begin to believe the lie of the enemy that you need another word, another experience, another counter, another worship service. And all it does is turns you into a consumer. Where your tithe is for a service. It's for a product. The pastors, Beth, they got to do all the work because that's what they're paid for. That's a consumer. If that's been the attitude, you might be a consumer. Somebody else will do it. Consumer. But... And here's the crazy thing. You can behold Jesus and be a consumer. But if you would behold what he beholds, you won't be one. Because you will be so compelled from the inside out, I have got to do something. Yeah, I'll sign up to do our kids for the second semester. Where Abby's like, amen. Can I get some people who behold what he beholds? Can I get some people that have the heart of Jesus toward children... That will say, let them come to me. Right. I got them. Consumers. But if you would just go with what you already know, there would be a freshness that would come into your spirit because the dam that has backed everything up inside of you would be broken. Just saying. Love people. Display the fruit to other people. See, one of the things that cracks me up about the baptism of the Holy Spirit is how obvious Jesus makes the, makes the purpose of the waiting. What do I mean? In Acts chapter 2, right, they go and they're filled with the Holy Spirit, and there's this entire gathering, Sue, of all of these people from everywhere on the continent, right? And they're hearing the rushing wind, and they're hearing things. They're hearing these guys that live in Jerusalem speaking in other languages, but the languages, they're hearing what? <laughs> they're preaching the gospel in their spiritual language to people who are present and they don't even know it. And you argue with me that the waiting isn't for witnessing? They were witnessing before they even had the opportunity to witness. This is beholding what he beholds. It's realizing the purpose for the waiting. I love that. It says in verse 10, 
uh, or verse 11, Cretans and Arabs, and listen to the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We hear them speaking in our own tongues of the mighty de deeds of God. If you don't think God is desperate for people, you're missing it. This is where I want to close. The Holy Spirit is poured out on the disciples and they're speaking in new tongues as they're filled with the Holy Spirit and there are people within the sound of their voice that are hearing the gospel being preached in their native language. And there's a message here if we will just listen to it. And I really hope that you get this because I'm not going to shout it and it doesn't sound super profound. But when you see every single nation represented at the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the message of Jesus Christ is being preached to them by Jews in their new spiritual language, then what it tells us is that there is not a nation or a people group, not a race of people, an ethnicity, nor a generation that should be off limits to us from hearing the message of Jesus Christ. No one is on the outside looking in. Matter of fact, it was the redemption of language in and of itself. God's heart is for every single human being to hear the message of Jesus, to experience the love of Jesus. The purpose of the waiting is that you behold Jesus, and as you do, you behold what he beholds. And here's what he beholds. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. I'm not looking at my paper because I've got this memorized. I'm a professional at this. Just so you know. That he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, King James, whosoever, you know what that means? Whoever. It's deep. Would believe in him, would not perish, but have everlasting life. This is what God is beholding. God, when Jesus spoke this to Nicodemus, he was not saying it because Christians were in the world. Do you know that if you're not here, he still loves the world? He didn't say it because Christians were in it. God doesn't just love the world because we're in it. God loves the world because God loves the world. And if we don't behold this truth and behold what he beholds, we will quickly become an exclusive country club. Because listen to me, look back at what Jesus said. He'll leave the 99 for the one. The church has got to leave the building. Like, look, I need another encounter. And he's like, go out there and meet me there. Maybe sometimes we don't have an experience with Jesus because we're wanting him to come back into the building that he left. If you would meet me while I'm going out to the people that I love, maybe you would have an encounter there. He loves the world. He loves this planet. It's his passion and his obsession. He loved it before Redeemer's Church existed. He loves it now. 
Because this is, this is the thing that stuck out to me that was so crazy. This is how I know that God loves the world. Because in the most agonizing moment in his life, he's still willing to look to a person next to him on the cross and say, you will be in my kingdom. That's crazy. That is the obsession. How can you overlook your agony and still have some room for somebody else? I get a headache and I'm locking my bedroom door. Nobody's allowed in. And he is beaten, bruised, and broken, and he still wants a conversation with someone about entering into the kingdom. He loves the world. Every single person. Mother Teresa said this, God loves the world through us. Wait to be witnesses in both... You got 10 more minutes? Wait to be witnesses in both Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and as far as the remotest part of the earth. Listen to me this morning. You may not, to, you may not get to the point where you can reach every person in the region. You may not get to the point where you are traveling the uttermost parts of the world. But I will tell you this. Everybody in this room can reach someone in Jerusalem and in Samaria. Because let me tell you what those represent. Jerusalem is your world. Samaria is the people that you don't like. When, when, when he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts, everyone was like, sign me up for the uttermost parts. Sign me up for Judea. I got Jerusalem. But Samaria, Philip, you don't got the seniority. That's your, that's your lane, bro. Samaria is everyone that you don't like. Who do you not like that Jesus could use you to demonstrate the nature of God to that isn't in your world, but is in God's world? Listen, as I was reading, and this is, this is where uh, the Holy Spirit hurt me so good. Acts 1.8 and John 3.16, I was reading them, and the Holy Spirit asked me this question, and it convicted me so much. He said, Caleb, do you just love your world, or do you love my world? Because if all you ever love is yours, you may never reach the people in mine. See, like we all have, for the most part, we all have the, a heart for the people in our world. Yeah. But what about his world? What about his world outside of yours? He loves that world too. But you may never be able to reach the people in his world if you make no room in yours for people in his. And I'm thinking to, me, to myself, there's, there's two, there was, let me just be totally honest, I'm a just kid that came to youth group uh, probably about five years ago. And I don't know if he's really walking with the Lord, but he um, randomly reached out to me on Instagram. And he said, hey, I'd love, you know, to come to church. I'd love to come to youth group. I'm like, um, you're old, so, like, you're not going to be able to come to youth group, but we have this young adult Bible study. 
and he said, all right, cool, tell me about it. So I told him about it. And I love him so much, and I want him to come, but I just have this hard time believing that everybody in that group would love him as much as I love him. Because it's so easy to love your world and not his world. Like, we get fussy if people sit in our seats at church. <laughs> the thing that I love about tithing is we actually apply our tithe to things that, like, the leadership has no idea about. And it's evident when someone sits in your seat. I paid for that seat. That is my chair. But if we would love the world, there would be no limitation. We just let go. There's a, there's a guy in my neighborhood that I've been talking to, and I'm just like thinking to myself, do I have, do I have room in my world for him? Do I have room in my world? Because here's the reality. Sometimes you will have to leave some of the people in your world if you're going to reach out to the people in his. And they won't understand it because they want to be the center of your world. They like being in your world. They like you being in their world. But sometimes it's not that you don't have any, it's not that you uh, don't have any space in your world. It's that God wants to get you out of it to reach other people. God loves the world, not just our world. Peter, I thought about this, and I'm going to close here. Peter died in Rome. Andrew died in Patras. John died on Patmos. Thomas died in India. Matthew died in Ethiopia. And Thaddeus died in Lebanon. Why? Because as they beheld Jesus, they began to behold what he beholds, and they left their world to go to his. It, was just, it just happened. I want to end with the Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote. There's anybody, man, that will hurt your feelings. It's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He says this, God loves human beings. God loves the world. Not an ideal human but human beings as they are. Not an ideal world, but the real world. What we find repulsive in their opposition to God, what we shrink back from with pain and hostility, namely real human beings, the real world, this is for God the ground of unfathomable love. In light of, ooh, in light of everything that's going on in our world in America today. God loves the world. God loves the world. God loves the rioters and the people they're rioting against. I know we want to put people in a box, but he loves the world. Yesterday, um, I was on Instagram, and a worship leader from a church 
said this, and I want to read it as we close. And it was titled this, Who is God for? And he said this. <laughs> he said, I just want to let you know there's a trigger warning. You might feel as uncomfortable reading this thread as I did writing it. Who is God for? This is complicated and sometimes frustrating. Question to answer, especially in light of recent events. And he was, as he was being crucified, Luke 23 records some very powerful words spoken by Jesus before he died. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. I believe the them that he was referring to has multiple implications. Side note, we still do not know what we are doing. Forgive us and guide us, God. Them applied to the Roman soldiers casting lots for his clothes and those who would later wrap his body in linen cloths. Them applied to those who thought he was a lunatic and those he, who knew he was Lord. Those who were there and those who weren't there. Those in the majority and those in the minority. Them applied and applies to everyone. Being for them did not excuse any individual action, whether good or bad. If it had, Jesus wouldn't have asked the Father to forgive them, nor would, have, would he have died. Being for them meant the love that brought reconciliation with God and creation through Jesus' life and death was available to anyone and everyone. The love of God was and is for the world. Church, we are meant to embody the unconditional love of God, which is clearly seen through the life of Jesus on earth, as it is in heaven in tangible and practical ways, no matter how uncomfortable. God's love always shows up for everyone. Here's the trigger warning. God's love is for George Floyd and for Derek Chauvin. God's love is for Dante Wright and Kim Potter, for Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Donald Trump, and Mike Pence. So are all those people in your world or out of it? His love is for every single person. God's love is for unborn babies and mothers who have abortions. God's love is for citizens and refugees, for sex trafficking victims, and for the traffickers. He loves the world. And it hasn't changed because we're here. He hasn't limited the scope of his love down to me and you. So I guess the thing is, we just need to behold what he beholds. Realize the connection of the waiting for the promise of the Father to being filled with his Holy Spirit so that we could behold his heart and behold what he beholds so that we would go from waiting to witnessing. And this is the rhythm of the Christian life. Waiting and witnessing, waiting and witnessing. Not one, not the other, both and, because God loves the world and he's asking for Hosea's to go after Gomer's. Will you stand with me?
what price will you pay to go after someone that God loves? Would you leave the 99 to go after the one? Would you, would you embrace the criticism and the rejection of people that don't understand why you're still pursuing a gomer? Why you're still going after this person? Do you have space in your, in your world for the people in his? Have you written off a coworker or a boss or a family member said, God deal with them, I'm done. God loves the world and he still does. But if we are going to move that direction, we have to behold his heart for those people. I've said this before, but my God, <clears throat> I can promise you this, that if there is somebody that you don't like, someone that you don't love, I promise you that if you would behold Jesus and you would ask God to give you his heart for that person, your heart will change. I can't tell you how many times I've had to take my anger at someone to God. And can I tell you, listen, when, I felt like the Holy Spirit said this, when you behold what he beholds, your mind may not understand your heart. You'll per be pursuing, you're like, why am I still doing this? Because that's Jesus. So God, I just pray right now. God, give us a heart to behold what you're beholding. Father, I pray that we would not just love the people in our world, but we would love the people in yours. God, that we would be willing to open up our world to people that you are sending us or that we would be willing to leave our world to be sent into yours. God, I pray that we would reach the people in Jerusalem and the people in Samaria, the people that we don't like. And Father, that we would be captivated by what captivates you. We would be obsessed by what, what obsesses you, even if our it defies our logic in our mind. Give us the heart of the prodigal father who would wait long after people wouldn't even understand why because of love. And God, I pray that we would not be religious. God, that we would not hold on to our holiness without understanding that you want us to draw near to the unholy. You want us to draw near to the unlovable. While we were still sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. So God, I pray that we would behold you. And Father, as we do, we would behold what you behold. In Jesus' name, amen.
everybody saved. Amen. We love you. We'll see you next week. If you're a visitor, I pray that you would just come. And I pray because you heard a hard word. But I ask that you just come meet our ministry team. We'd love to talk to you guys. God bless you. Thank you.